Dialogic Disciple is an invitation to explore discipleship in dialogue with the world as disciples of the word. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dialogic Disciple podcast. My name is James Johnson and I am here with my co-host Elizabeth Shaby. She is mocking me as I do the introduction, but we got to do the introduction. Otherwise, people won't know what they're listening to. You know, I thought about that the other day. You know, how annoying introductions are when you are a person that consumes whatever it is, you know, over and over again. I, I was listening to Bill's podcast, Bill's sermon prep yeah, thing, yeah. which I'll be totally honest with you. I was a first time listener, right? Yeah. I put these things out every week, right? Uh-huh. I, but I don't ever watch them. Right. And, um, and he goes through this whole introduction. And I was like, oh, well, this is so helpful, you know, for if, especially, I mean, I know most of what's going on around here, but I was thinking of like, as a first time congregant listening to this, like, you know, knowing what he's trying to do, what his goal is in this sermon prep. And then he finishes it with the service times, which if I was a first time person just getting this email and hadn't been to church many times, I would be be super helpful for me to know when worship is. But as someone who knows this information, you're annoyed by it. Right. (laughs) So, but, but so here we go. Perfect example. We're talking about kenosis today. Right. Self-emptying, right? So what does it mean for me? We're just jumping in, jumping in hard and fast right here. Let's Let's go. go. Right? So what does it mean (laughs) for me to attempt to empty myself of that selfish thought, right? How annoying it is to experience this thing, right? Because it's helpful for someone else who's not me. That's right. It is helpful for someone else who is not having my experience right now. So what does it mean to empty myself? You know, you're absolutely right. Practical. This no, is a that's practical a, that's thing. a practical, uh, yeah. This is a practical way of self-emptying. So, uh, so it's okay that I do the introduction then. You're, you're okay if we keep doing that? I will continue to mock you, but I think you should absolutely do it. It's important. So to all our first time <laughs> listeners out here, this is the Dialogue Disciple Podcast, and I am the co-host. <laughs> and here we go. We're off to the races. So today we are going to talk about kenosis uh, in relation to a little preview that we're doing today um, for our Advent devotional. Season of Advent is coming up uh, pretty soon, pretty quick. It's, uh, it starts on December 3rd, I think, this year. It does. It's actually a little bit of a shorter season than it normally is. The season of Advent is... Why is that? Well, so the season of Advent is the very first season of the church calendar. So in a way, it's a New Year's. Um, and the first day of Advent is December 3rd. Advent is made up of the four Sundays before Christmas Day and the weeks that are before that. This year, the fourth Sunday is Christmas Eve. Okay. So in a sense, Christmas Eve uh, is the fourth week of Advent. Because... Advent or Advent is always Sundays, but Christmas is a date specific, so it just depends right. on what day of the week exactly. that Christmas falls on, how the weeks of Advent. So this fall. is the shortest uh, Advent that you can possibly have. We're going to have this year. Uh, less happens. waiting, it less happens. hoping, less preparing. <laughs> it happens like every six, seven years, whatever. Uh, that's right, but uh, that means Christmas is coming sooner. More Christmas. <laughs> um, but anyway, so Advent begins on December third, uh, Sunday, December third this year, and. Um, it's a season of expectation, a season of anticipation. We are looking forward to um, this kind of it's a time of preparation where we look forward to the birth of Jesus Christ, but it also functions as a way of anticipating and expecting and hoping in the second coming of Jesus Christ. So him born, Christ born as, as a baby, and Christ returning as a king. Uh, it's really kind of a special season in the church, one that you know we've talked about many times before, but one that often gets overlooked and swallowed up by Christmas itself, because Christmas is such a big deal, both in the church and in the secular world. 
Um, but it's important for us, I think, as Christians to take the time to really reflect on this time that has been set aside for us to to reflect on 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 the coming of Jesus Christ. You know, the 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 way that the church calendar is set up for us, I think, is a really beautiful balm for our forgetfulness. Wow. What do you mean by balm? Uh, you know, like there's the a balm, balm a balm in Gilead, right? Uh-huh, a, a yeah. salve. It's a yeah. a way to help us um, heal from that, right? I mean, we we are forgetful people, right? You see right. that all throughout the Old Testament. Sure. I'm a forgetful human being. I can't remember, you know, what I did yesterday or what I'm supposed to do tomorrow, you know, uh, and I forget what God has done for me, you know. Absolutely. And so I think having this rhythm that the church gives us. Yeah is a really beautiful way to address that, right? Because, you know, I, I was thinking about this phrase that you always hear in the church, this tension between the um, the already and the not yet. Yeah. And sometimes I understand what that means and sometimes I don't. Um, <laughs> it's a funky little phrase, right? But so I'm, I was thinking of... So I was I was thinking about this passage in Luke 1 where the angel uh, is talking to Mary and he says, um, you know, Jesus is going to come, right? Um is, you know, the most high will be here. And the, the last thing he says is that his kingdom will never end. Right. So Jesus is born. And with that, his kingdom will never end. Yeah. So here, you know, here we are, we're bumping along, you know, 2000 years later and we forget these things. Right. right? We forget that there's um, that, you know, we have been given this savior whose kingdom came to earth and will never end. But we need to be reminded of that. Right. And so right. we have this beautiful rhythm that helps us to take a minute and remember how to expect and how to anticipate and how to hope this this celebration of this baby coming, but also that it's already happened and we live in this reality. So I like that. I like that image a lot. Um, and that's really, you're right. That's kind of what the, the structure of the church calendar is all about, is helping us to remember the things that have already happened and have not even happened yet. In a sense, we're remembering what has happened. We're expecting what has happened and we're remembering what hasn't happened yet. Yeah, uh, in a sense. So there's like a weird, a, a really weird tension there, um, and it's really important. So James, tell us a little about a little bit about kenosis. That is a funny little word. We're going to hear it a lot over the course of this Advent season. You're going to hear you... it a lot. You're going to be sick of it by the time we yes. get to uh, Epiphany here, you know, on January 6th. So tell us a little uh, bit about what it means. Well, l- let me let me let me backtrack just a little bit. So we're we're so as we've done the last several years, we are connecting our Advent and Lent devotionals together um, to try to create a single narrative, a single story, a single experience um, through these really important. Uh, seasons of the church calendar, uh, and this year uh, we were kicking around a couple different ideas. But the one that you and I kind of came up with is we want to ask the question and and attempt to answer the question: uh, What does it mean to be the image of God? What does it mean to be the image of God? And one of the ways that you you go about answering that question is: uh, Well, what is the image of God? What is the image of God? So we've kind of broke that question down. We're going to answer it in two different ways. Um, for the season of Advent, we're going to answer the question. We're going to attempt to answer the question. Uh, what is the image of God? And what do we see in the birth of Jesus Christ that tells us uh, about the image of God? And then for Lent, we'll pick up. What does it mean then for us to be that image? What does it mean for us to embody that same image that we see in Jesus Christ? So for the season of Advent, we are going to talk about kenosis and this Greek word that is obscure. 
I think Dr. Bill mentioned the other day when he was here uh, in the studio <laughs> of my office uh, that kenosis is one of those words you learn uh, early on in seminary. It's like a big fancy word, so you remember it, right? Uh, and then typically you never hear it again because <laughs> people don't talk about it a lot. Um, I am enamored of the word kenosis and the entire concept. It comes from, and it's really only mentioned once in the entire Bible, and it comes from Philippians chapter 2, which I've said many times in many different places, is maybe my favorite passage in all of Scripture. And I know I said that about many passages, but I think I really mean it with this one. This one he probably is telling the truth <laughs> about. Uh, but so it comes from it comes from Philippians chapter 2, and it comes from this hymn, uh, that Paul quotes in in his letter to the Philippians. It is probably the oldest piece of uh, Christian literature that we have uh, in the sense of uh, original writings of, of the church. It's certainly the first hymn that we have in the church. Um, but as far as New Testament writings, it could possibly be the oldest uh, the oldest piece of Christian tradition that we have. But um, I'll read it to you. This is... Um, oh, no, I think you should sing it for us. Oh, you think I should sing it? You said it? it's a hymn. Well, well I'm, what are you doing? I'm not much of a singer, but <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll change my mind. It's a, it's a poem. <laughs> it's a poem from the early Excuses, church. excuses, excuses. <laughs> um, so Philippians chapter 2, uh, this is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11 is where the hymn goes. But this is what Paul says. In your relationships with one another, have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, uh, but rather he emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God highly exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. It's a beautiful, beautiful hymn that has uh, a structure to it that is about God emptying himself of God, godness, divinity, and then taking back, back on, taking that divinity back on through uh, through the cross and resurrection in the name of Jesus. And, and you really get this beautiful kind of structure to the hymn itself that has the cross right in the middle. But it begins with this idea that Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, this person, that this Messiah that, that we have come in contact with, that we read about in the Gospels, that this Jesus is God. He exists in the very nature of God. And yet, rather than kind of just sit with that godness and just be God uh, in order to be in relationship with us, in order to do a work for us, in order to reach out to us, God empties God's self of his godness, his divinity, and by doing so becomes, is born a human being uh, that is known as Jesus of Nazareth, uh, born of the Virgin Mary and, and to stepfather Joseph, and we know all the stories. Uh, but in that act, what, what this hymn reminds me of and what it, what it highlights for me is that God's sacrifice for us, which we always think about the cross, we always immediately go to the cross. What, you know, if I ask you, what, what sacrifice did God make for us? You say, Death on the cross. Jesus dying on the cross, right? And that's certainly part of it. It's part of this hymn. But the first sacrifice God makes, and maybe even the bigger sacrifice, uh, the more essential sacrifice, is that God becomes one of us. 
And that's really what the story of Advent and Christmas are all about. So for our devotional this year, uh, as we wrestle with what is the image of God, here we see it. The image of God is a God who empties God's self and becomes lower than he is, uh, becomes, takes, takes on the form of a slave or the nature of a slave or a servant uh, in order to save, in order to be in relationship with uh, his creation. That's what God looks like. That is the image of God. Um, and so that's that's where we're going to go with uh, Advent this year as we kind of break down what that looks like in, in various passages throughout the New Testament, as well as some of the traditional uh, Advent and Christmas stories that we're used to. But seeing how God uh, reveals God's image to us in the birth of Jesus Christ in this kind of kenosis, uh, self-emptying act. I grew up uh, Lutheran. I'm sorry for your um, loss. <laughs> well, Lutheran and then Episcopalian. Um, somewhere around probably late middle school, early high school, we switched over to the, the Episcopal Church. But um, there was another church, of, a church of another denomination right across the street, very large. We won't name names. Um, but, I, you know, <laughs> I feel like the rhetoric that I always heard was, you know, Jesus died for your sins. Jesus died for your sin. The blood yeah, of Christ. Jesus yeah. died. You know, that is like the rhetoric of evangelism that I always heard, you know, small southern town, yeah. you know, South Georgia. Right. So that that's that's the rhetoric. As I have continued on this journey of faith, very winding, at times dark and difficult. Yes, that's lovely. Right. Dying on a cross. It's, it's meaningful. Right. Of course, all the right, things. Right. But the thing that is the most meaningful to me is understanding the life of Jesus. Right. So, I mean, as you were talking and this could be heresy, um, <laughs> okay. you know, I was thinking about. So you have right. You have this birth event of Jesus, the right. life of Jesus, right. which I feel like gets talked about the least. And then the death of Jesus, which I feel like gets talked about the most, or at least right. that's kind of how what I've seen. That's what gets emphasized for sure. Right. Yeah. So of those three things, you know, if you take out the cross, if you take out the death, you know, you still have the birth and the life and they still carry a lot of meaning. Right. But the cross doesn't carry as much meaning if you don't have the birth and the life. Okay. Like, what do you mean? You know, if you just have, you know, this God, this God character, right? This divine being yeah. that just, you know, suddenly appears on earth and then immediately gets killed, <laughs> right? That's weird, right? There's no yeah, meaning. Right, There's no right. meaning to that, so the, right? But if you have this God character that um, sacrifices that the divinity Right. right. This this glory, this, you know, all the, the magic and all mm -hmm. the stuff, right? Sacrifices that is born, lives and walks among us. Yeah. There's a lot of meaning in that. Even if you stop before you get to the cross, yeah. there is a lot of meaning there. And that yeah. that is what I have found to be the most poignant. This idea that um, not just this ultimate suffering of the cross, but that Christ would come down in our God, you know, instead of sitting up high and watching us and looking at us in this heaven, you know, would actually choose to come down and be here in us and be born in the dirt and the muck and the sorrow and the hurt yeah. and walk on this earth with us. Man, that, that is where the meaning comes from for me. I think that's right. And I, in fact, I think it gives, 
it, it gives even more meaning to the cross itself, right? Yes. So yes. One, one of the things I love about this this hymn and and the fact that it is the earliest expression of 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 who the church understood Jesus to be is that it does take serious um, the context of his life. It takes serious the idea that the the life of Jesus Christ, his message, his ministry, the way he did life is important for us. Yeah. It's not just about the fact that he died for us, uh, whatever that might mean to different people, different Christian denominations, but that his life, you know, there's a lot of mm-hmm. stuff written in the Gospels that have nothing to do with the cross, right? That there's a whole life here that's going on. And it's not just that he's performing signs and wonders, but that he has a message and the way that he interacts with people. You know, that's that's exactly what we're trying to get at, I think, in this devotional this year, is getting to the image of God that we see played out in his birth, his life, uh, and and ultimately in his cro- in the in the cross, right? Mm-hmm. Because the cross is an important, absolutely essential part of what we believe as Christians. But I also think it's important to understand why Christ is crucified. There's a there's a message being laid out in all four gospels about the life that leads to the cross. So it's not just the cross; it's the right. life that leads to the cross, and that is what we are being called to do as disciples of Jesus Christ. You know, when Jesus. Uh, is asked, what do I have to do to be a disciple? He says, number one, deny yourself. In other words, empty yourself, right? He deny yourself, die to yourself. It's used many different ways. Number one, die to yourself. Number two, take up the cross, all right? That doesn't mean, he didn't say get up on the cross, all right? He said, mm-hmm. take up the cross and follow, follow me. me. There are three steps there, right? Very simple, also the most difficult things you'll ever try to do. Denying yourself, emptying yourself, taking up the cross, which means taking on the burdens of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, and then following Christ, which means walking a life, walking a path, living a life that looks like Jesus, who is the image of God. Um, so yeah, I, I do. I, I I like the kenosis idea as being central to who God is and who we are called to be as disciples, because you're right. I mean, it takes, it takes the life of Christ uh, very seriously. Um, and all of it, you know, all of it, the life and the death of Christ, uh, the death on the cross, all of it is only seen uh, because of the light of the resurrection. I mean, that's the only reason why we even talk about this is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we'll get to obviously uh, during Lent and Easter. Mm-hmm. Um but it's also important to remember that, I mean, that's why we're having this conversation in the first place. Why we're all here is the resurrection. So let's get back to the definition, right? We know a little bit more about this word and how it's used, kenosis, but what does that actually mean? So in, in its very basic Greek form, kenosis means uh, it's the activity of emptying. It's emptying uh, and in the way that it's used in Philippians chapter 2. It means to empty yourself or empty the self. Uh, and obviously that can mean many different things to many different people, but it means basically emptying yourself of your will, of your desires, of your, of your thing, uh, of, of whatever makes you, you, uh, the direction of your life, the direction of your will, um, denying yourself, dying to self is other ways that is talked about in the new Testament. Uh, so kenosis has become kind of a technical term then for talking about self emptying. Uh, in that way. And so to make, so we empty ourselves to make space for God with the understanding that this vision, this picture that I have of my life and my world and what I want does not align with the will of God. 
Yeah. Right. So there's a, we we get uh, pulled down by the world. Right. We get covered up by the dirt and the muck and the, you know, the ick of life. Right. You know, or just that the messages, maybe it's not it's not necessarily bad, but it's just the messages that the world gives us. Right. Right. About who we should be and what it means to be alive and all these things. And that gets clouded. Right. And so God has this other message for us. Right. About Mm -hmm. what it means to be here in this life. And it's about emptying ourselves of all that other stuff. Right. That the world speaks to us. Right. And making space then for what God says. Exactly. You can think about it in terms of like the story of the prodigal son. Uh, and, and you can read that story and it, it kind of tells us a little bit, I think, it can be used as a way to talk about what kenosis is all about. You have a son who, a younger son, who comes to the dad and is like, hey, give me what I want. Give me, give me my part of the inheritance. I'm out of here. I want to leave. And the, and the father empties himself of that part of his wealth into the son, gives him his inheritance before he's supposed to have it. And the son goes off and basically wastes that, right? Until he finds himself full of the, the products uh, and uh, life of the world, which actually ends him in like a pigsty, eating like pods from the pigsty, right? And that's what he ends up full of. Uh, and then he has to, the son has to empty himself of his pride in order to go back to the father. But as he's going back to the father, he father meets him halfway and again, empties himself of his kind of, uh, position, hurt. hurt, pain. Yeah. Right. Right. And so you find the father meets him on the way and embraces him back. Now that's kind of a loose way of talking about it, but th- this is exactly the same kind of thing that's being demonstrated for us in the Kenosis passage and in the idea of God emptying Himself. Is that God has God has shown us what it looks like to be in the image of God, what it looks like to have peace, love, hope, joy, all those things we talk about during Advent, uh, which is to be empty of the self, and in a sense. What Christ is, what the Kenosis poem or hymn tells us is that Christ emptied himself in order to be filled again with God, with with purpose, with meaning, with um, with his true identity as the image of God. Uh, and that's exactly what Paul is saying here. He says, have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. In other words, live the same life or have the same attitude, the same disposition that was in Jesus Christ, which is empty yourself of your own wills, your own will, your own direction of life. Empty yourself of your, of your, um, of who you are, so so that you can be filled with Christ through the Holy Spirit. Um, it's not an emptying. It's, it's not like a. Uh, it, this is what makes it different from like a Stoic philosophy. This is not just simply empty yourself of all desires and passions so that you can be desireless and passionless. It is. It is basically. It gets back to what Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane: "Not my will, but Your will. Not mm-hmm. my will, but Your will." Is what we pray in the Lord's Prayer: "Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Your will be done. Your kingdom come, on earth as it is in heaven." Uh, so it's, it's, it is very similar to, and points to, has a lot of different, uh, echoes and refrains within the entirety of the new Testament. It's the same message. Deny yourself, be poor in spirit. Something else that I think is an interesting part of this conversation, because as we've worked through this devotional, I've struggled with, you know, what does that actually mean to empty yourself? You know, that's a, um, 
it's an abstract sort of phrase, and I tend to like practical things. Sure. Um, what does that actually mean? I like to like walk around in the clouds, you know, build these beautiful castles in the clouds, <laughs> and then you come along and you want to get it down in the mud and get everything dirty. I do. And practical. Do. <laughs> <laughs> and that just doesn't work. Just... It doesn't work as you get mud in the machine, it won't work as well. <laughs> I don't want to just talk about building it. I want to actually build it. <laughs> That's the hard stuff. So being clear, because I like your distinction about, you know, this is not stoicism, right? This is not emptying yourself, this is not ignoring um, or turning to apathy, right? It's not right. ignoring pain, ignoring bitterness. This is a process of healing in a, in a, in a certain way. Yeah, too. It is. Restoration. Restoration. Healing, restoration, transformation. Right. So it is what has to happen and that's kind of why i like this idea of talking about emptying yourself of what the world has to give and being restored from those things yes. in order to be be in the image of god right because it's not wrong or bad that we carry pain or hurt or right. bitterness or anything or expectation right right that's a big one i think that is not necessarily bad um we carry all those things and that is a very human experience, right? And we get so much in the gospels where Jesus, you know, we can see Jesus having these very human experiences of sadness and, you know, hurt and he gets irritated and, you know, even hungry, right? You know, right, um, yeah. these are normal human experiences. So what does it mean to push aside, to empty ourselves of the things of this world, um, whether it's tasks or the desire for perfection or the expectation that your parents or your children or your significant other has of you um, or what you feel like you need to do in order to be the best this this or this to learn to identify what those things are and then figure out how to set them aside empty yourself of them so that god can speak into all those little dark nooks and crannies that we have yeah. and restore us right it is a it is a product of the mind. It is an uh, kenosis is a is an activity of the mind, in the sense that it is it is part of this will and and way that we see the world. Um, so when Paul uses the word mind here, he obviously he means more than just like what we think, but also how we see the world, how we understand the world, and being able to get out of our own way. Uh, in how we interpret what's going on around us is another way in which we can help kind of, uh, uh, we can further ourselves along on the path of, of kenosis. Um, trying to see things and understand things through the eyes of Christ and see other people through the eyes of Christ, um, or maybe even see other people as Jesus Christ. Uh, there, there's a sense in which, like, what Paul is trying to do here is, by quoting this hymn, is to help the Philippians as well as us, to do what he says here at the very beginning of chapter 2. So just to go back to that, to kind of give some context to why he even says this hymn in the first place. Listen to this first part. It kind of gives you the practical piece that you're talking about. Um, so chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Therefore, if, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness or compassion... Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, and one and one of mind, and of one mind. And then he, this is it, right here, he says, verse 3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves, 
value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So if you want a practical example of what it looks like to to practice emptying yourself, it means looking out for other people above yourself, valuing the other, whoever that person may be in front of you, whether it's a family member or a stranger or an enemy, valuing that person above yourself and looking out for their interests above before your own. And then he gives us the hymn, which shows us how Christ, how God himself, rather than looking to his own interests, rather than holding himself uh, as more valuable than us, he actually valued us more than he valued his own divinity, emptied himself of that to the point where he became a human being, emptied himself even again to become the point of a slave, a servant, emptied himself even again to the point of becoming obedient to the point of death, and then even again being willing to die on a cross, which is the most humiliating and painful way to die. Christ is just doing nothing but emptying himself the entire time. That's God emptying himself time and time and time again, showing to us, demonstrating to us, revealing to us what the image of God is that we have been created in. That Paul is asking, or that Paul is writing to the Philippians that they should be. If they're if they're in one spirit and one mind, if they are, if they're getting anything out of this Christ thing, uh, to to take on the same mind that was in Christ, he goes on to say in verse twelve after the Kenosis hymn. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Uh, no. <laughs> Tall order. I don't know <laughs> but, about but, that. But listen to what he says here. I mean, this is very important. So, number one, this emptying process, this emptying activity is the beginning of a process. It's the beginning of a, of, of a, a pattern of life that is transformational. We, we call this uh, sanctification in the Methodist church, right? The emptying process is just the beginning of the sanctification process, which allows us to take on and understand what the will of God is. And that is God's will that is working in us. As soon as we get out of the way, mm-hmm. when we empty our will, God's will steps in. And that's how we continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, with humility and grace with these with this realization that it is not us who do anything but it is always Jesus Christ in us the piece where it hits home with me is thinking about okay so this is what god did in jesus if i am the image of god i am called to do this so what does it look like for me to be as present with my like you said loved ones, but also, you know, not loved ones and even enemies. What does it mean for me to be present with those people the same way that God came down through Jesus and is present with us? Um, We were talking about John in my New Testament class and this beautiful opening prologue, um, the, where it says, you know, um, Jesus came and the word was made flesh and lived among us. And my professor said that that word lived is a really weak translation from what's actually in the Greek and that the Greek word um, is tabernacle or it means to pitch a tent. Yeah. And so this idea that, um, you know, God's presence is here moving with us in this tabernacle, this holy space. Yeah. Um, but in a tent, right? So it moves with us, Yeah. you know, 
God has come down and pitched a tent, right? I know there's a lot of um, uh, religious and holy connotations to, you know, the sure. tent and the tabernacle of God and how that moved with the Israelites. But there's also a part of it in my mind where it's just like this very basic thing, right? Like mm-hmm. lowly, humble, like pitched a tent, you know, like what does it mean to pitch a tent and be in that sort of intimacy, you know, like imagine, you know, being in a tent with your, your family, right? That's yeah. an intimate experience. <laughs> what would it mean to go pitch a tent in the tent communities down under the freeway in downtown yeah. Atlanta, yeah. right? Yeah. To pitch a tent with these people, they live in tents, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, that is, that is a lot of intimacy. That is um, vulnerability, vulnerability yeah. right? So what do I have to do in my life? What do I have to empty myself of in order to be present, to pitch a tent with the people around me? Yeah. That's a really good way to think about it. I think I, I, um, I recently went camping with my daughter, uh, and we pitched a tent, um, with the uh, former co-host of the show, a guy named Nick Houston. He who shall not be named. He who shall not be named. You just named but, him. Uh, I just named him, but I mispronounced his last name on, on purpose. purpose. Um, as a reminder that it is Houston everywhere else in the world. But there anyway. is a problem. <laughs> um, but anyway, we uh, we went camping. We ended up camping out in his front yard uh, and pitched a tent. And uh, we were there. You know, it was just uh, it was me and my daughter and he and his son. And uh very kind of vulnerable, intimate experience, right? We didn't even get out of the house. We didn't even get off the property. We were just in the front yard. Um, but I like this image that, you ha- that you've that you kind of constructed here, that you've presented here from John, uh, of God pitching a tent. And the mobility the mobility of, of God's presence, um, which Paul also picks up in, in 1 Corinthians when he says that you yourselves are the temple of the living God. Like, you yourselves mm-hmm. are that temple. The temple is the kind of the the more permanent version of the tabernacle so that they're, they're connected images, but God is tabernacling with us or templing with us. He's made us this new temple. I think it's maybe worth exploring sometime. The fact that Paul himself was a tent maker. Hey, there you go. (laughs) And maybe even more ways than one, it turns out. Um, But like, what, what does it mean for us to, to live in that kind of impermanence and mobility and that kind of exposed and vulnerability with other people um, who may not even have tents to pitch in the first place. And I, so that's another really beautiful, right, imagery that we get throughout the whole Bible. You know, we have this, this experience, like you just said, of the tabernacle and God moving with the Israelites everywhere that they go. God is with you. God is among you. The cloud moves over them. It guides them. And then, you know, and then we get the temple being built. Yeah. Right. And so then God becomes a little less mobile. Right. Right. At least in their minds. Stationary, right? right? In their minds. Yeah. Okay. Right. So now we're, you know, we kind of got God in this little box, right? Mm -hmm. Put put him in the box. And we learn to expect something of God. Mm -hmm. And then here comes Jesus and says, I am the temple. Yeah. Right. You know, your temple is gone and that's hard and that sucks. Um, That's (laughs) difficult, right? To not have God in that place that you're used to finding God. But hey, I am the temple, yeah. right? So you're going to have to get used to this again of me moving with you and being with you and having this sort of um, uh, experience of God that is kind of hard to hold on to, to kind of, it's hard. Yeah. Um, it's, it's mobile. It's transient. Yeah. 
You know, it's it's unpredictable in some sense as well, which is exactly how Jesus talks about the spirit of God as well, right? It's like the mm-hmm. wind. Um, and maybe that's that's really what Paul is getting at here in in Philippians is that like what God is what what it means to have the mind of Christ, what it means to empty yourself the way that Jesus did is to is to become a tabernacle for God, not just as individual Christians, but as a people, which means which means being willing to to enter into the wilderness. It means being willing to move around uh, with the freedom of God. Like so many, you're exactly right. Like the the Israelites build this temple. Um, and there's some hesitation as to whether or not God even wants this to happen, right? And then, and then God, they build this temple. The temple gets destroyed, and then they're lost. They're like, mm-hmm. "What are we gonna do? We, God is gone. The temple is gone." And like it's Ezekiel and Jeremiah who step up and like, "Hey guys, I, I, I can actually move around. Like all right. of creation is my temple, so uh, we're gonna be fine. It's gonna be okay. We're gonna be fine. It's gonna be okay." <laughs> so that that's another place I think where this whole kenosis concept hits home for me. Um, So I, you know, I think we live in a world where we talk about individualized faith a lot and that's how it gets expressed. That's how I always heard it growing up, right? Faith is you believe in Jesus and you need to pray and you need to do these things and, you know, and that's good. If it, if it stops with you, then that's a problem, right? So the other, this other way that I kind of understood kenosis is, um, you know, you have God, right? So if we're trying to be the image of God, right, we're kind of looking at, what is God, what God has done and what does that mean for me that I need to do? Yeah. So, right. So you have this picture of God in this Trinity, right? We mm-hmm. imagine the sure. Trinity, right? God in relationship with the spirit and Jesus, right? And it's lovely. And there's a relationship there. Just like I have a relationship with God, right? Maybe it's, you know, me and my Bible, maybe it's me and my prayer closet. Uh, you know, it's me and God, you know, having a conversation, you know, throughout the day, right? So you have this, this intimate relationship, but then God says, I'm going to, I'm going to empty myself and I want to be closer to these human beings down here. So I'm going to send my son. I'm going to empty myself of my divinity in the form of this human being. So I can go pitch a tent and be closer to these fools that I love <laughs> so much, yeah. you know, and learn and be there with them and have this experience with them. Right. So, okay. So here's the parallel for me then right, is to learn what it means to move outward from this personal experience that I have with with God. It's wonderful. It's good. It's intimate. It's great. But how do I let that, how do, how do I take that experience and let that inform the kind of tent that I'm going to pitch with the people around me? Yeah, that's good. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think that's what he means when he says working out your salvation and fear and trembling. I think that's exactly what he's talking about. This idea of learning to model our our lives after what we see in God. I mean, God God is always pouring out and giving. He's always emptying. Uh, and that comes from the relationship that is God. The God mm-hmm. of God is love. God is that love relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If we are participating in that same love relationship, we should also be overflowing and overpouring with this spirit. I think it's important to remember that um None of this is, we don't do any of this in the sense of like, it's up to us to make it happen. It's always Christ moving in us. One of the reasons why the church has failed and continues to stumble is because Christians like me and you and uh, other ones, (laughs) 
we send, we we always fall into this trap of, well, I've got to do this and I've got to make this happen. Or mm-hmm. we as this church have to do this. We have to make this happen. And if you read the book of Acts and if you read what Paul's trying to say here in Philippians, it is not us who do anything. It is Jesus Christ moving through us and is God doing something in us. As he says in Philippians chapter 2, um, verse 13, right? I just read it. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It is not us. It is God. What happens when we do things is that we are full of ourselves, we are full of self, and we are trying to do the will of God. And whenever it's us trying to do the will of God, we've already failed. So emptying emptying ourselves of the I need to, I should, I want, I think, emptying ourselves of that to make room for what is God trying to do here? Yes. And then that also means when we empty ourselves, we also empty our offenses, the things that offend us. We empty our opinions. We empty all of those hills that we want to die on. <laughs> and we simply, I think that the way, the way you just said it's good, like just to sit back and say, what is God trying to do here? What is it that God is doing in me, right? Those kinds of questions are the kinds of questions we need to ask as people who are not looking to our own good, but to the good of others. And I think to bring it full circle, this is why it's so important to learn the story of our faith and to learn the story of the life of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Because I can't answer that question, what is God trying to do here, if I'm not familiar with what God has done and what God is trying to do. So the more I can put myself in a lens where where I see things, where I understand the story, I understand this gift that God has given us, where I understand what it the footsteps of Jesus, right? Because I don't know what to follow if I don't know where Jesus is going, right? <laughs> right. Then I can better answer that question. What is God trying to do here instead of what do I want to happen here? That's good. And that's, I mean, and that's, so that is what Advent is going to be about for us this year, is trying to understand what the image of God is uh, through this birth of, of baby Jesus, the birth of God uh, as a human being. Uh, as a gift to us, as a, as an emptying out uh, for us, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I know that you are. I hope Northside that you're looking forward to it. Uh, those Advent devotionals will be out uh, before Advent. Uh, you can pick them up here at the <laughs> church. We'll also have a digital version. Yes, uh, reminder that if you have gotten the Advent and Lent um, emails in the past. You shouldn't have to worry unless you change your email address. Um, it'll just keep going to the same places it's been going. If you've not gotten them in the past, pop over to www.northsideumc.org backslash email and uh, make sure, you know, go on there, fill in information and check the Advent and Lent devotional box and you'll go through the little confirmation subscription process Excellent. and then you'll get our emails. And we'll also have some content up on YouTube on the Dialogic Disciple podcast or the Dialogic Disciple channel on YouTube. We'll also have some special um, uh, videos and, and other content available during the season of Advent as well. So we've done the promo. We've talked about kenosis. Elizabeth, is there anything else you'd like to say? I'm excited. I'm excited I'm too. To it. It's Christmas time almost. Christmas time <laughs> is here. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye.